Lyme disease is not a overbearing, terrible disease. It can turn into that, but it is not this terrible disease that's incurable. I only believe, I think there's only two things that are incurable and one of them is death. And the other one is a bad attitude. And I assure you, if you have a bad attitude, you won't get cured from Lyme disease. This is the Gutsy Health Podcast, your go-to destination for uncomplicated, practical, and affordable tools for your wellness education with Jeanne Grover. Are you ready to become a self-healing champion? Let's go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have one of my faves on the podcast, Dr. Wright. Welcome back, Dr. Wright. Nice to be here. I'm going to have you as my frequent flyer just because whenever there's something I want to learn about or deep dive, I'm just We don't have enough time to do it in meetings because we're always talking about other things. But when we want to deep dive health stuff, I'm like, great, let me pick your brain for an hour, right? So, (laughs) so welcome. Yep. You know, it's interesting. I want to be completely honest. When I had my consult with you and you going through all my symptoms, and many people know what my symptoms have been over the past almost two years, it's like all the neurological stuff. And you asked me, have you been tested for Lyme yet? Do you know, I keep avoiding testing myself for Lyme because I just don't want that energy in my field. I am that person that's like, ignorance is bliss because Lyme holds such a heavy weight of like a diagnosis. Nobody wants Lyme. Lyme is like, it almost, it's like, you know, with cancer, we call it the big C word in my family because I don't want to talk about cancer in front of my kids because they've experienced enough trauma. Lyme is the big L word. It's like, if you have Lyme, people often are like, well, kiss your life goodbye because this is it for the rest of your life. And truly what is so remarkable, Dr. Wright, is like when I created Prova Health all those years ago, I never thought it would be a clinic that I would need to heal. I brought in modalities before I even knew I would need them to heal myself from the mold and the Lyme and the infections and the chronic infections and all of that jazz. And so What's beautiful is like when we crossed paths, I remember that day so clearly where I gave you a tour of Provo Health and they were all modalities that you knew inside and out. They were all modalities that you used in the past. They were all modalities that you wanted to recreate again because some of them you hadn't yet used and you wanted to use in, in a future clinic. And I was like, well, I have a clinic. Just come join us. Let's join forces. I am a boat that needs a captain and you're a a captain that needs a boat. (laughs) Yep. But Lyme is a big one that you've dealt with. And Lyme is a big one that the clinic deals with all the time. And now we're combining forces and we are literally moving mountains with our patients. I want to share with people really quick. We have a patient. I'm going to interview her. But she flew in from California. She's young. She flew in from California. Lyme patient, debilitating, can hardly function. And literally within three weeks, she says she's 60% better. Her brain's working. She's like, I didn't think I would get my life back. She said, if I was 10% better, it would have been worth it. And she's like, but three weeks in and we're 60% better. She's floored. She's absolutely floored. And Lyme is one of those things that just don't scare me anymore because I'm like, yeah, you got Lyme. We got tools. Easy. I don't want to say easy because it's a long road. And so the road is what I want to talk about today. That's what I want everyone to learn from your brain, Dr. Wright, is like, what is the road? How did we get there? And how do we not get there? How do we go back? So let's start from the beginning, Lyme disease. 
So Lyme disease is a infection, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be nitpicky about this because Lyme has turned into this great big all-encompassing, horrible, terrible, no good, very bad force that cannot be reckoned with no matter what we use. And it is terrible and you'll always have it. All of those are incorrect. All of those are half-truths. And I in my personal life, I believe that a half-truth is a whole lie. I love that. Half truth is a it's whole a, lie. Oh, that's just half truth. No, that's a whole lie. It's like, well, you're just half pregnant. Nope. You're either pregnant or you're not. That's right. <laughs> Pick one because you're not one or the other. It's going to be, you're going to, you're all, you're all pregnant or not pregnant. So that's hilarious. I really bring this up because there's a great big, in our society, in pretty much every place you look, there is this, we talked about briefly before we came on. We doctors, for some reason, want to hold tightly to our information like it's too pristine, it's too high, it's too ivory tower-ish. You, whoever you are, will never understand it. And I'm here to tell you that if I can make it to medical school, anybody out there can learn what I've learned. And I don't say that to put myself down. Is They didn't get my attention until college, which means in high school, I didn't get super good grades. And I'm an artist, not a scientist, although I am a scientist now. Art and music and things like that were my happy place. So jumping into hardcore science, which takes you have to do to get into medical school, it just took, I just wanted to do it. And once I had that, totally doable. And yes, I had to put three times more work in than everybody else, but who cares? Because I knew what I wanted, I got it. And so anybody can learn what you need to know. And I want you, all your listeners to know this. And if you're looking at the camera, if you're looking at the video, I'm looking you in the eye. You can learn this stuff. You might have to take three or four times longer than everybody else, but it is learnable. And Lyme disease is not a overbearing, terrible disease. It can turn into that, but it is not this terrible disease that's incurable. I only believe, I think there's only two things that are incurable and one of them is death. And the other one is a bad attitude. <laughs> and I assure you, if you have a bad attitude, you won't get cured from Lyme disease. That is so funny. <laughs> A bad attitude. Uh, keep going. Sorry. So you have to think positively and you have to think for, I mean, I'm not talking about toxic positivity either. I'm just having faith that your body can heal and it's designed to do that. And if it doesn't, you won't heal. So let's go to the basics of Lyme disease. The basics of Lyme disease is it was named after the city in Connecticut, Lyme, Connecticut, where they had this mysterious infection that caused joint pain. They didn't know what it was. There was a guy named Willie Bergdorfery. Ber Willie I don't remember his last name, but Willie Bergdorf, who went in and figured it out and he found a spirochete. And how should I put this? I'm not going to withhold anything. I'm going to push buttons. So if your listeners are a little on the squeamish side, they might not want to listen to this. And so here it is. Lyme is a spirochete. That means it is a cousin to syphilis. So all the principles of syphilis can potentially be applied to Lyme disease. Now, does it mean that? Absolutely. No, it's a cousin. It's not the same. Now, people that aren't familiar with syphilis, what is that? Syphilis is a sexually transmitted disease that causes all kinds of bad. Syphilis has three degrees, first, second, third degree. Third degree is end stage where you've got lots, lots of psychological problems and eventually death. It potentially can cross the placenta. It can be sexually transmitted. Our country says, no, you can't sexually transmit Lyme disease. Well, if it's a spirochete, why can't you? And in our country, the problem with Lyme disease is that we are not looking at the data. We're not looking at the facts. 
we're looking at what we've researched. The problem is, is if you've researched it, you have data. But if you haven't researched it, you can suspect it. But in our country, if you haven't researched it, you can't say that. Right. And so since I have not say it, researched and checked to see if people can sexually transmit it, therefore, it can't happen, which makes no sense. It can still happen. We just don't know. Now, does it happen every time? No. And does it always cross the placenta? No. There's a lot more going on here than we can plan for. But the concern is that it is possible. And so if it is possible, if your family is having weird symptoms and you have Lyme disease, it would behoove you to look at all of them as well to see if that is part of the equation. You know, the first time I heard that is when I was actually doing our hyperbaric training because hyperbaric is so good for Lyme disease. And the owner of Andy International, Ed Betts, he taught us that. He's like, Lyme can be transmitted through any bodily fluid. And he said the exact same thing. People are not going to like to hear that. You know, and mainstream doctors won't say that because of exactly what you said. And ever since that, I've had other people on the podcast where it's like, they've said the same thing where it's like, yeah, it can be transmitted, right? But anyways, keep going. I said this on previous podcasts, but I'm like, if we took 100 people and tested them for Lyme, more than half of them would come back positive for Lyme, but most of them wouldn't have any symptoms whatsoever. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, is when you get the body working properly, it will, I mean, the immune system is designed to handle all enemies, foreign and domestic. If you give the immune system what it needs to do, I still think the best tool to get rid of Lyme disease, and I do say get rid of, I think the best tool to get rid of Lyme disease is the immune system. And a, and a functional immune system, an immune system that's not strained, an immune system that isn't overburdened, an immune system that is taken care of. Yes, I've said that for years and years and years when people have come in on tons of antibiotics and tons of herbal protocols. And, and I'm, like, I'm like, yes, but we're not as smart as the immune system. Get the immune system cleaned up and it'll do its job pristinely. Amen. It's absolutely true. So you have to clean up anything that is bugging the immune system. And so you have to feed it. You have to nourish it. You have to support it. You have to clean out the garbage so it can run. And when it runs, it will kill everything that does not need to be there. And it will create an immunity so that you can continue to deal with that thing when it comes back. Exactly. So immune system is hands down the best tool ever. I believe it's God's gift to us so that we can live. It's a real thing. It's amazing. And so the tools that we use at Provo Health are designed around, well, number one, they're the least offensive, most powerful therapies that are available. The reason we use these is because they augment the body's ability to do what it needs and wants to do anyway. 100%. And that starts out from the foundation, which is clean air, clean water, clean sleep, clean relationships pooping every day, twice, two, three times a day, whether you need it or not. If you're pooping once a week, whether you need it or not, you have another problem that you need to fix before we can do other things. And so Lyme disease, you know, it was discovered by a doctor. He named it after himself. Borrelia burgdorferi is the bug that causes Lyme disease. It is an infection that causes initially joint pain. About half the people who get bit by a tick, let's come back to the tick thing. Half the people who get bit by a tick get a bullseye rash, the other half do not. If you had a bullseye rash, that is diagnostic. There's nothing else that we know of that causes a bullseye rash. So if you got bit by something and got a bullseye rash afterward, that is diagnostic of Lyme disease. Do you need to run a bunch of blood tests? Sure, if you want to, but you don't need to because wow. the diagnosis is made with, this, with the, the bullseye rash. Can you get it from other places? So we just we talked about bodily fluids from other people. Yep. 
I think it's interesting, and I'm going to say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, it's been proven that Polish mosquitoes can transmit the bug. But since American mosquitoes have not been checked and proven to transmit the bug, they therefore cannot. That's hilarious. <laughs> it doesn't make any logical sense to me. What the heck is the difference between a Polish mosquito and an American mosquito? Right. And then they, in our country, they say, well, one mosquito can't do it. Well, like, okay, do you know anybody that only gets bit by one mosquito? I don't. Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's like the joke in the parasite circles where it's like parasites need passports in order to get to America because we don't have parasites here in America, which is so false. I tell people this all the time. I'm like, you've got parasites. If you have a policy of a parasite, all the countries around us in the world, the doctors prescribe an antiparasitic every year to their clients to keep their parasites at bay. What do we do here? We're like, we don't have them. We're fine. We're good. And then our dogs continue to like lick our faces and our cats in their like kitty litter and then walking all over our counters. You know what I mean? And we're like, oh, they're so cute. We totally have parasites. Totally. We just don't want to believe it. It's such a weird culture we have here where it's like, no, our mosquitoes don't pass it around. Our pets don't have parasites. We don't have parasites. <laughs> yeah, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So Lyme disease, Borrelia burgdorferi, now we have, I don't know, 30, 40 new strains of Lyme or Borrelia that have been named after somebody else. I don't track them because to me, it doesn't matter which one you got. Problem, and then we'll get to testing in a minute. Lyme disease is, it can hide, it can take three different forms. And so the reason I, you know, antibiotics are kind of the primary method of treating it. That's kind of assumes that the body can't do it itself. So we're going to give this thing to kill it. And my problem with that, and I'm a huge fan of antibiotics. If you just got a tick bite or you just got a bullseye rash, I would give you antibiotics even before the blood test came back. Of course, you should talk to your doctor. But if you're in my office with it, I'm going to give you six weeks of antibiotics not two weeks. And I'm going to give you twice the dose, not the regular dose. And so just know that I am outside of that scope. And of course, I always do this based on individual tolerance. And I base it on individual. Each person is there is an individual. So I don't give everybody the same thing. But I usually find that in the research that I've done, that giving a, a dose twice a day instead of once a day, and do it for a six-week program instead of a two-week program, I got better results. And so, so antibiotics, if you just get it, I think is the best, best solution. And I, I actually agree with that 100%. Because you just want to like, while it's fresh, get it out. Like get it out. But if it's been too long, then it's like, well, it's in there now. You know, on a few, like five, six years ago, I had three patients that were diagnosed, I diagnosed with acute Lyme disease. And I treated all of them with antibiotics. And two of them got better. One of them got heroically worse. After talking to her parents quite a bit about this, we think that she had it prior to, and she just got another infection. And so we are treating a chronic case with an acute remedy. And so that's why things didn't get, she didn't get well. Interesting. I want to pick your brain about, I know your answer on this, but I want everyone else to know it too. There are a lot of Lyme doctors that treat chronic Lyme with antibiotics and patients will be on antibiotics for months, if not years. I find years. What's your opinion on that? Because that's my opinion too. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I both work in the same realm. We do not bill insurance. So well, since we do not bill insurance and we're a premium product, we're very individualized. We take each person individually and we spend time with them. And that's expensive to deliver. 
And so since we are a premium product, I don't get people that come in and lie to me. I'm expecting that if you're in my office and we're having a conversation, you're telling me the truth. Right. Because if you're lying to me, you're wasting a whole lot of money. I mean, just saying. So second thing is, is because we have this premium product, if we don't have success, we don't eat or pay our mortgage or all the other expenses that we have. And so we are under slightly higher expectations, requirements, yep. expectations, if you will, because, because of where we live. And so if somebody does not get well with what we're doing, we don't survive. Our business dies. And so in that context, if somebody, so we're doing things very individualized. And so when somebody, you know, my favorite thing to do is walk into the IV room and say, hey, how are you doing? Because ultimately you're in the office because you feel bad and you want to get well. And so ultimately, you're not there so that a blood test will be positive. That's cool too. But what you're there for is so that you can feel well. And so when I'm talking to patients, I'm like, how are you doing? And I'm, I'm not those like, gee, how are you doing? By It's really a, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you feeling like these things are working? If they're, and if they're working, great, we're on the right track. If they're making you worse, we're on the right track. We're definitely going in the wrong direction. Uh, and we need to tweak it. And so Insurance covers antibiotics. That's really convenient and it's very inexpensive for you, but you're not covering, you're not taking into account the cost of you suffering and not being able to do what you need to do because one thing is covered by insurance. You're not being able to work is not covered by insurance. You're not being able to spend time with your kids because you're in bed is not covered by insurance. And so if somebody, I see regularly, I see people who've already been on uh, courses of antibiotics for two, three years. IV antibiotics, oral antibiotics, and every, you know, and progressively what they were observing was getting worse. Now I can appreciate the standard of care. That's a wonderful baseline. But the reality is, is if you're doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result, last I checked, that was the definition of insanity. Well, and and here's the thing too, even alternative doctors are utilizing antibiotics as well. And with what we understand with Lyme. There is a certain perfect storm or petri dish inside your body that is allowing Lyme to thrive. Part of that is having a dysregulated or an unhealthy immune system. And we know that 70% of the immune system is your gut microbiome. So if you're taking antibiotic after antibiotic after antibiotic to go after the Lyme, you're actually destroying that like 70% of your immune system that is supposed to take care of the Lyme naturally too, and is the most intelligent system to take care of the Lyme. So essentially you're destroying and killing that, which is your best ally. And so it's always felt so counterintuitive to me. And I've, I've thought that for years since we started ProvaHealth back in 2018. And I just heard of all these doctors putting patients on antibiotics. I was like, this makes no sense. It make the immune system more intelligent. Don't dumb it down with these antibiotics to a point where your gut microbiome is completely carpet bombed and non-functional anymore. So that's just my opinion. And I will constantly express my opinion around that over and over and over again, because I think it's really important to recognize how we got here. How did you get Lyme? And so I think that if you have anything else to say about the antibiotics, let's launch into how did we create the perfect storm for Lyme? What are the factors that people are exposed to or expose themselves to that set them up for the perfect storm of Lyme disease to flourish in their body? Well, let me qualify that because there's Lyme disease as in an infection with Borrelia burgdorferi and or one of its cousins. And then there's 
this chronic slop mess called Lyme disease, which is basically everything bad that's happening to you. And we've blamed it and called it Lyme disease. And reality is, no, it's not Lyme disease. It's a collection of other misery that's creating this mess in your body, whether it's a dental infection, whether it's mold, whether it's Bartonella, whether it's, you know, you got this toxic relationship at home. Like cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr. Cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr. You're suffocating because you're leaving at 10,000 feet and you're not getting enough oxygen. All these things play into it. You're not nourishing yourself. You're eating the standard American diet, shopping in the middle of the grocery store instead of the periphery of the grocery store. You're eating junk food, but we're calling it Lyme disease. And so I get pretty great results with Lyme disease because I tease out all the, all the other stuff, fix it, and then go after the Lyme disease and the body just handle it. But you mentioned so many things that I want to re-emphasize, right? So there's other co-infections. Like mold is a huge one. If you haven't listened to the mold podcast that we released last week, I highly, 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 highly recommend you go and listen to it because there is a list of symptoms there. I did a poll on Instagram and I showed this list of symptoms from mold toxicity or mold exposure. And I asked people like, how many of these symptoms actually look like Lyme? And it's all of them. All of them look like Lyme. And so how many people are diagnosed, and I put this in air quote, diagnosed with Lyme disease, go to their doctor, do treatment after treatment after treatment, are taking the antibiotics, are doing these expensive treatments like ozone therapy and hyperbaric, like what we're doing. And they're like, I'm not getting better. And it's like, well, your Lyme is gone. The Lyme's not there. They're like, but I'm still symptomatic. It wasn't Lyme, it was mold. You have to make sure that you're taking care of the co-infections like mold, for instance. You're taking care of co-infections like heavy metal toxicity or chemicals. Like maybe your liver is so overburdened that it can't handle, you're so chemical sensitive and it's reflecting in some kind of skin rash or autoimmune or neurological dysfunction. So making sure you're taking care of the toxicities there. But how do you make sure that your liver is taken care of? Well, you said if you're eating the standard American diet, you're not getting the vitamins, the nutrition necessary for liver detoxification and liver replenishing. So making sure you're eating the right diet, you're not eating too much anti-inflammatory foods. And that's just not the standard American diet these days. So we're setting ourselves up for failure through that. And then you mentioned chronic stress or toxic people. And like, I'm not kidding. Chronic stress, you guys, is huge because like cortisol, if you are at a high stress job and you're there eight hours a day and you just have this like constant flood of cortisol in your system, cortisol is a very, very inflammatory hormone that your body makes. It's good in short spurts, like sprints throughout the day. And those times are like for waking up in the morning, you have a little bit of a cortisol spike. In the afternoon, you have a little bit of cortisol spike to keep you awake. And then it kind of comes down. But if you're high cortisol all day long, cortisol is going to damage every single cell in your body because every single cell in your body has a cortisol receptor site. And it is a very pro-inflammatory hormone. I'm going to correct you. Actually, cortisol is an anti-inflammatory hormone. The problem is, is it shuts everything down such that all the other problems come punching it. And cortisol and insulin work together. And insulin is highly inflammatory. And so if you have high cortisol, then your body also has high insulin and insulin is high inflammatory. Thank you. I love that. Thank you for correcting me there. So it's anti-inflammatory, but has, but how it shuts down the cell, it causes more inflammation. 
And I love that you brought on the insulin issue as well, right? Because that is actually very pro-inflammatory when high insulin, high cortisol equals high insulin. And so there are all these things that over the 20, 30, 40 years of being alive that you're exposed to, parasites, parasites is another one. Like you said, the tooth, like root canal infections or like any kinds of impactions in your mouth, all of these things just kind of build up to create the perfect Petri dish for Lyme or one, they by themselves mimic Lyme or two, create the perfect Petri dish for Lyme to thrive in. And now you're not just dealing with Lyme, you're dealing with Lyme and A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So in order to get rid of Lyme, you have to heal A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And some people might have just A, B, C. Some people might have A, B, C, D. Some people might have A, B, C, D, E, F. We don't know until we test you through blood work, through hair analysis, through the extremely rigorous intake form that you do with them, Dr. Wright, because you're interviewing people from birth to like current date. You're asking how many antibiotics? Where did you live as a child? Were you in rural areas? Were you exposed to like glyphosates and sprays on farms? Or were you by like some kind of oiling mining town or something? What else would you like to add to that? In medical school, I learned that when you want to help somebody to heal, and I believe the body will heal itself, that's absolute for me. That in medical school, we learned that, or they taught us that if you give the body what it needs, it will heal. And part of that comes from 200-year-old homeopathic philosophy, which is if you expect the body to heal, you have to remove the cause of why the person is sick. So the classic example is somebody's smoking, you know, two packs a day. Well, while you can do everything to help that person to be healthy, if they don't quit poisoning themselves with smoking two packs a day, they're never going to get the full results of everything else that they're doing. So you have to remove any obstacle that's there. And all these obstacles are all the things you just named, parasites and heavy metals and chemicals and solvents and radiation. We have an abundance of radiation. Here in the Intermountain West, we have lots of radon. A third of the homes in Utah have radon in them. But it's basically, if you take the draw line across the center half of the United States, horizontally, all the northern ones are going to have potentially radon in them. I know the statistics for Utah, but I was visiting, doing a consultation a few weeks ago at Provo Health. They were from Ohio, wonderful family. And I said, you got to check your radon. They're like, radon, what's that? And well, while we were on the visit, the dad checked and he said, holy smokes, Ohio has a lot of radon. <laughs> you know, you have to remove these things, find them, remove them, and mitigate them as best as is possible. And then you can start healing. So I don't know if you've ever heard the tax rule. The tax rule goes like this. If you're sitting on a thumbtack, it takes an awful lot of aspirin to make you feel good. And if you're sitting on two thumbtacks, taking one of them out doesn't necessarily make you feel 50% better. It's the A, B, C, D, E, F, G thing is if you're sitting on 15 thumbtacks, you take one out and you don't feel anything. And so you have to remove and heal all of it. Then the body will do what it needs to do with Lyme. I'm not afraid of Lyme, but I do like to make sure that we're actually looking, treating the thing that's actually broken. And sure, if it's Lyme, great. We have some protocols for that, and they've been very effective. But if you have something else going on like mold, our protocols are only going to work part way because you're still poisoning yourself in the form of breathing mold. I highly recommend go and listen to that episode on mold, you guys. Like if you have been diagnosed with Lyme, if you have been sick for a very long time, if you have been diagnosed with atypical 
MS or atypical autoimmune or atypical, like Dr. Wright says on the podcast, go and research mold, go and read up about it, go listen to that podcast as a great starting point, because it is very, very enlightening and is such a game changer. Like when people get rid of mold, their life completely changes because mold is a literal neurotoxin. It's funny, one of my favorite psychiatrists in the world, Dr. Daniel Amen, is that correct? Yep, Mm -hmm. I said his name right. For some reason, I I feel like I always say his name wrong. Uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's read over like 100,000 brain scans. He's like the brain scan doctor and he talks about brain health and uh, healthy brain aging. And he says, one of the most toxic things for a brain where you see the most aging and damage is mold toxicity. He talks about alcohol and he talks about sugar and gluten and dairy and all those things, but he's like mold. Mold is a huge, like people living in moldy homes or growing up in moldy homes and then they're diagnosed with bipolar or they're diagnosed with anxiety or depression or they're diagnosed with all kinds of neurological or psychological dysfunctions. He's like, at the root of that, it could be mold and it most likely is. That blew my mind. So mold's a huge, huge one when it comes to Lyme. And I'm just going to say this. I love your saying. You say, get out of it, get out of the moldy environment, and then get it out of you because you are now swimming in mycotoxins that are just creating inflammation. You have to detox it. So listen to that podcast episode where we talk about that. We spoke about how we got here, which is there's so many ways in which we get here. So many things can go wrong. Too many antibiotics, a standard American diet, root canals, co-infections like COVID and Epstein-Barr and all that jazz. And we say in that podcast, it's never Epstein-Barr. It's never Lyme. There's a plethora of things that led to those infections. So now what? How do people test? I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to go there. Let's talk about conventional testing and then non-conventional testing. Yes, please. Because I feel like this is an area where people get gaslit all the time, where they're like, oh, no, you don't have Lyme. It's all in your head. So help us out. Last time I checked, and it's been a little while since I've checked this, so things might have changed, but first test that often is run by doctors is an ELISA, E-L-I-S-A. It has an accuracy for Borrelia burgdorferi or Lyme disease of about 30%. That means 70% of the time, it was a false negative, meaning you actually have it and it didn't show up on the blood test. If it shows up as positive, that's good. That means you have it. But usually then they'll go to the second test which is a Western blot. A Lyme Western blot is a better test. It still has a margin of error about 70%. So there's still a 30% error rate. If somebody has chronic Lyme disease, they're more likely to not show up on that. In order for, a, and, and digging into that a little bit more, there's two parts of the Western blot. There's the IgG and the IgM. There are 10 markers on a standard IgG test. You have to have five of those positive in order for a diagnostic in order for the diagnostic criteria to be a positive Lyme test. You have to have two of the three IgM, and it's either or. So if you have two of the three IgM or five or more of the 10, then that's a positive test. So here's some politics with that, which is infuriating, but that's the way it is. In our country, they wanted to create a a vaccine for Lyme disease, which is noble. So they asked the labs to stop reporting the two most sensitive markers on these tests so that they could use it for the the testing for the vaccine. LabCorp and Quest, who are the two major labs, stopped reporting those two markers because the CDC is trying to make a vaccine. And so 
the problem is, is when the vaccine failed, they never re-added them back in. And so there are other lab tests called Igenix. There's a couple of other ones as well that will use, that will report those markers, but they are not covered by insurance. And so if your standard doctor runs the test and it's an IgG or it's the Western blot test, it may or may not be positive, partially because they're not reporting the two most accurate bands. So there's some politics for you. That's just the way it is here in our country, in the United States. There's other tests that are coming out. I'm always cautious of new tests. I think they have validity. I don't routinely run them because they're also not covered by insurance. And even though I do not bill insurance, I recognize that there's a lot of costs involved in getting well. And so anytime I can use insurance, I will. So because the Western blot has around a margin of error of 30%, I run a secondary test that is it's called a CD57. It's also called an HNK, so Harry, Nancy, Kilimanjaro, HNK1. There's two names for it. It was pioneered by LabCorp, but you can run it through, through Quest and some of the other labs as well. And what that is looking at is the number of white blood cells. These white blood cells are the ones that make the markers that we're measuring on the Western blot. So if that is suppressed, it says that you're not making the markers to be able to get a positive test. And so if that's suppressed, then it is presumed that Lyme disease is its factor. Interesting. Now, I say presume because a CD57 test is not a diagnostic test of Lyme disease. It is just another test that can be run. It's kind of like a workaround where it's like, we're looking at the shadow of the object kind of thing, right? Yep. So these are the tests that are out there. These are the tests that I routinely run. Lyme disease now is more of a clinical diagnosis, which means it looks like a horse, it smells like a horse, it weenies like a horse, it has hooks like a horse, it's probably a horse. We don't necessarily need to run a genetic test. However, there's a lot of doctors, they say, well, since the Lyme test was negative, you don't have it. And that doesn't really make sense in a lot of cases. And so, so for all the listeners out there, you need to be your own advocate and do your own research. Please take what we're teaching you and go and dig in because we're giving you enough tips to be able to start looking at things critically yourself so that you can decide, is this Lyme disease you're dealing with? And the CD57 and the Western blot, those are covered by insurance most of the time. Would most doctors know to, to look at CD57? Are they educated on its relationship to Lyme or... Let's say just like Jane Doe listens to this episode, goes to her GP and is like, run CD57 for my Lyme. And would he be like, oh, yeah, I understand the, the connection. Or would he be like, oh, why would I run that? Because I've had doctors where I'm like, I would like all these labs. And they're like, absolutely not. You don't need these things. And I'm like, yes, I do. And I know why I do. And they're like, no, you don't. So would that be that kind of situation? It's usually that kind of situation. That's been my experience. So find a doctor that understands how to look at the shadow of Lyme. Well, you know, and here's the thing. There's a thing called an LLMD. You'll see that on boards. It's called a Lyme literate medical doctor. And that's shorthand for anybody who's Lyme literate. And usually it's going to be an ND, a naturopath like me, an MD, a DO. Usually it's going to be the upper level providers and or nurse practitioners that have failed enough in their practice. They just, they were, they want to go into medicine to help people. They were finding that the routine that they bought into called in this insurance industry and working at a big clinic was not meeting their needs, or they had somebody who was deathly ill and wasn't getting better with those. And so they went the other direction and left the insurance world 
to be able to do it. And so I'm not saying that people should jettison their practitioner. You know, their cardiologist or their GP might be excellent in the context of what they're doing, but they just may be gently admitting, I can't help you, but they don't know how to say those words. They just say, oh, no, you don't need those tests. Or no, you're, it's all in your head. You're just imagining this. That's what I was told. I was prescribed an anti-anxiety med. They're like, your husband just died. Like, this is all in your head. I'm like, no, I understand anxiety. I have enough experience where I'm like, there's something very wrong here. Like, my chemistry is very off. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Wright. Like, working in my clinic for years, coaching people and looking at labs and hearing their symptoms. And so I have this coach perspective. And so it's interesting being the patient and the practitioner where it's like, oh my gosh, this is how my body is breaking down. Oh, and this feels terrible. It was so interesting to see all the dominoes start to fall and look at it from my clinical brain and as well as be the patient. It was, it's kind of interesting and eerie and helped truly helped me understand disease so much better because there's, there's a difference in like treating disease and then like actually experiencing it. And I'm grateful that I've gone through what I have because I can relate to so many of the patients of Provo Health now. Like I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, I experienced that too. Yep, I experienced that. Yep, I remember feeling exactly that way. Yep, I know all those triggers. It's interesting. And then to come from that patient perspective and be like, hmm, this is what we need to heal it. Like sitting in those shoes and being like, I know this will help and I know this will help and I know this will help, right? And that's how we brought on all these other new modalities is literally from my own experience of like, yep, okay, disease is messing with my brain. How do we fix the brain? Let's move on to non-traditional testing. So there's a lot of people out there who are doing applied kinesiology, also called muscle testing. Muscle testing, it is not a diagnostic test. Diagnostic test means it has been approved by the CDC to say that if this test is positive, then you have whatever is the problem. And so since it is not a CDC-approved diagnostic test, we're kind of working in the realm of physics rather than in the realm of chemistry. And so it is still valid, but you want to confirm that with something else because while I like muscle testing and I do some myself, it can be modified, it can be unvalidated, it can be sloppy depending on how you ask the question, it can be sloppy depending on how the person is responding, it can be sloppy if the person who's doing the muscle testing is having a bad day. And so... There's too many variables. Yeah, there's a lot of variables. And so the point is, is if somebody says you have Lyme disease based on muscle testing, I will trust that depending on the person who did the muscle testing, but I will not confirm that as a diagnosis because a diagnosis is a political thing that doctors do and you have to have certain criteria for that. So it would be suspected Lyme rather than actual Lyme disease. And the reality is, the treatments may or may not change. They may be the exact same thing. Does someone who has been diagnosed with Lyme, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, should they also get tested for cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr, other viral infections, mold toxicity, heavy metals? Like I love our hair analysis in the office. It's not perfect, but it helps us get a really broad picture of what could be happening in the body. And it oftentimes, like our Lyme patient that flew in for two months from California, she started all her treatments and it's like, well, what did your hair analysis say? And parasites and mold showed up. It's like, we got to get those out. Like we have to get them out, right? Like listen to my episode from last year about parasites, but I'll just quickly say here, there are not really good tests for parasites. No. There's no golden standard for testing. You might as well just do a parasite cleanse. But it's interesting because she messaged me on Instagram 
And she's like, so many parasites are coming out. And I'm like, yay, you know. But if you could give people with Lyme a list of things to test for through blood work, what would that be? To confirm that they are either there or not there. My standard test is going to be presuming that the insurance will cover it and or that you have time and money to do it. And so I would do Lyme disease, Western blot. I would do CD57. I would do Ehrlichia. If your helpers can actually write these names down, some of them are spelled pretty badly. I mean, it's pretty, very difficult to be able to, I mean, I can say them, but I can't spell them myself. You want Babesia, you want Bartonella, you want Toxoplasmosis, you want Epstein-Barr, you want Cytomegaly virus, you want Parvovirus, you want Human Herpes Virus 6 or HHV6, you want Herpes Simplex Virus 1 and 2, I said Toxoplasmosis. I think there's one more that, that can be a problem. There's a number of, so you, anything that you think you might be, these are all, the reason why we look for these is they're called, I call them stealth infections. Meaning they're there, but they're hiding. You know, if you got the flu, you know that. If you got the cold, you know that. Nowadays, if you get COVID, you probably know that too. But these are stealth infections that are kind of running on low, on low simmer, that's slowing everything down in your body causing problems that you don't notice or you write off as, well, I'm getting older. I should expect this. Would you say COVID is a stealth infection now? I don't know that I would route it to a stealth infection, but the damage that it does, I'd call it kind of like a stealth infection. COVID is interesting because it kind of strips away your protective mechanisms. And so even though the virus might be gone, it stripped away your protective mechanisms such that now you, whatever was going on that you were protecting yourself from, now you're not protecting yourself from. So whatever, you know, if you're now tired, if you're now exhausted, if now you're getting migraines, if now you gained some weight, you know, whatever it is that you did, it's like, okay, maybe your body dealt with COVID, but now stripped away all these protection mechanisms. And now you got a bunch of weird symptoms. Now you're all empty. Yeah. And now we call it long haulers. Well, long haulers is sloppy. It's all over the place too. That's true. And it's interesting because since COVID, how many people are getting the flu or the common cold? And instead of it being a few day thing, it's weeks. And not only that, but they're getting reinfected. So they'll come up for air and feel good. And then they go right back into it. And now they have like pneumonia or bronchitis or like, it's bizarre. People are not getting sick the way that they used to. It's like the same infection, but way worse like symptoms. People are just being hit harder. And I see that in children as well. Like children are just being hit harder and harder and harder. Well, not children, just humans in general, like children and adults. It's been very interesting to watch because, you know, you deal with sick people, we deal with sick people. And it's just like, man, people cannot get a break when it's wintertime. Before it's like, oh, it's winter. We get sick here and there and then it's fine. Now it's like, oh no, it's winter. We're going to be sick for a very long time and over and over and over again. It's so crazy to me how this literally changed within a couple of years where our relationship to illness now is completely different because our experience is so different. Thanks, COVID. And I love how you said that it strips away your defense mechanism. That's exactly what is happening with people, even healthy people, like people that you would look at and be like, they are a 10 out of 10 as far as health goes. And they're being knocked over and like sent to hospitals and stuff. It's really, really interesting. I see it daily. Yep. So we've kind of gone through everything besides treatments. So you have Lyme, let's say you've been uh, diagnosed with a few co-infections as well. What does the treatment plan look like? What kinds of therapies should people 
be pursuing from some of your favorite therapies to least favorite therapies? So my favorite therapies have to do with oxygen. And the reason is, is because I'm a huge fan of oxygen. I kind of like to breathe, but I tease people that, you know, I ask, what is the most important nutrient you take in every day? And they're thinking like water. I said, no, because water you can live for three days without, but oxygen, you can only live for about five minutes without it. And so oxygen is the single most important nutrient you take in. In fact, there are entire systems around the delivery of oxygen, heart, blood, pipes, lungs, et cetera. And so there was some research done about 20 or so years ago, and they discovered that the immune system works like this. And most people is going to be familiar to you. And if not, I'll keep it simple. So basically, you got a white blood cell, and it's there, and it sees a bad guy. And so it gobbles up the bad guy, and then puts it into a safe room, squirts a whole bunch of stuff onto it, take it apart. And then takes a piece of it and says, hey, everybody else, that's the bad guy, kill it. And so about 20 years ago, they figured out that the stuff that the white cells squirt onto the bad guy to take it apart is actually forms of hydrogen peroxide and ozone. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know ozone. I knew the hydrogen peroxide, but I didn't know it was ozone. It's actually a free radical oxygen. Both are sources. Ozone and peroxide are both sources of that. And so if your body's already using that, then therefore adding oxygen in is going to help your body work better. I always say it's like taking the white blood cells and taking their little BB gun from them and giving them a flamethrower. You're enhancing their ability to just kill things. So what are the forms of oxygen? Well, hyperbaric, top of the list. And not everybody can afford that. Not everybody can find a really good facility. I personally have had a hyperbaric chamber since 2009. I love it. Mine does not compare even remotely to the ones we have at Provo Health. And mine, you can't really use a soft chamber for the treatment of Lyme disease because you're not getting enough pressure and oxygen where it needs to be in order to do the job that you want to do for Lyme disease. You need a higher pressure. So love hyperbaric. Next on the list, and these are not, all of them are my favorites. And so it's not like I like hyperbaric more than the next one. I like all of the high-dose oxygen delivery systems. Uh, another one we do in the office that I brought in was ultraviolet and ozone together. And so what we do is we draw a little sample of blood out. And when you see it, you might think it's a big sample, but it's a little sample. And then we put ozone into that. The ozone instantly reacts with the body. It gives a minor kill, but it gives a major boost to the body's ability to kill. So you said you... so. We're ozonating the blood and then putting the blood back in, and it's doing all of that. As we're giving it back, we're putting it through an ultraviolet light that has UV, A, B, and C, and also full spectrum. And the light, you know, baby moms who've had babies that were a little bit on the jaundice, you know about light therapy. You put your child in a blue light and help to degrade the bilirubin. Well, same principle is going on here is that when you put the blood through the lights, the blood actually absorbs that light like it's a thing activates things, activates the blood to flow better, but also the ultraviolet light kills anything and everything that, is, that sees it. You know, we've used ultraviolet lights for sterilizing for a long time. So what are the like quick bullet point for each? Because it goes through UV, A, B, and C. So what do those do specifically? Specifically, they, one of them boosts the immune system. One of them improves the flow of the blood. So it's not like a blood thinner. It just, think of it like it takes the spikes off the blood so it can flow better. And the third one, UVC, is at the frequency that is virucidal, bactericidal, parasitic, which means kills what's not supposed to be there. Now, 
our bodies have systems designed around being able to handle UV light. So therefore, it doesn't kill us. Yeah. But these little biologic things, they do not have those same systems. And so ultraviolet light basically breaks their DNA, causing them a death. But we're giving it back to you dead so that your immune system can then activate and kill that. And so think of it like your own personal vaccine. It's so cool. I think it's one of our most popular therapies at Provo Health right now. We just hired on another IV tech because one, people are getting so much success from it, but two, we're running out of slots. And so when we want people to get this, I remember my very first ozone IV therapy, I came in with all my tremors and tick, like my muscle twitches and all the things and the, the, the weakness in my, my neck and my brain just feeling hot all the time and like literally get the IV and like my body is completely still. And I'm like, holy cow. I literally feel the inflammation coming down immediately. It feels like I just walked in and out of like a fridge. My body doesn't feel inflamed anymore. Like it was that fast. I couldn't believe it. Like I was literally floored. You guys, if you have a clinic near you that does ozone IV with the UVI lights, ultraviolet UVBI, therapy, like I a hundred, a million percent endorse it and think you guys should do it because it's phenomenal. It's the bomb. So it is the bomb. Next on the list is um, Hucket. Hucket is phenomenal. It's an ozone sauna, but you're also in, you know, you're also helping the body to sweat. And there are a whole bunch of other pieces to the Hocket. We could probably have a, you know, a podcast on just that. Just the Hocket, the magic egg. I cannot tell you, it's called the magic egg for a reason because it's ozone and it's hydrogen peroxide because the ozone mixes with the water to form hydrogen peroxide. So you're getting both. Like you said, it's anti-inflammatory. It helps detoxify like all the things. It's my favorite too. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited because it's like, I'm talking about some of my favorite things now. Keep going. So those are my favorites. And then, you know, moving down a little bit, high-dose vitamin C has a place. Other IV vitamins uh, have a place. They can be very helpful. You know, if you have brain problems doing neurofeedback can help to repair those. There are certain dietary protocols that can help to repair those. I mean, and so these are just, if you are infected, these are the programs that I have found. These are the protocols that I have found to help you get uninfected. And then IV therapy of other forms can be very helpful to rebuild the body, to boost the body. Neurotherapy is tremendous in helping to rebuild the brain. And then that takes care of the infective piece. But then you have to make sure that the heavy metals are not a problem. You have to make the, sure that the body can rebuild itself with adequate protein, with trace minerals, that people are sleeping adequately, that they're getting good quality sleep. The emotional things that are beset us are not part of the equation. You know, getting out of uh, toxic emotional relationships. You know, if they have a home that is, if you're living in a uh, home that used to be a meth lab, you got to move because you're being poisoned every time you go home. I mean, you have to look at all those pieces. You have to make sure you're drinking clean water. And when you get those foundations correct, then things get better. Exactly. I want to add to the neurofeedback really fast and like rehabilitating your brain. People don't realize when you get Lyme disease or any kind of co-infection or stealth infection, you don't just get a sick body, you get a sick brain too. And your brain almost atrophies. And so what happens with that, it can atrophy and become so dysregulated and disrupted that even when you are killing Lyme, detoxing heavy metals, the brain doesn't have this like autocorrect response. It stays in this state of dysfunction. You can blame 
evolution or God or whatever. Don't blame God, but it's just how our biology is created. And so what you have to do is actually rehabilitate the brain because I like to use the analogy of if you have termites that are making holes in a tree and then you fog the tree and you kill the termites, there's still holes in the tree. So you have to fix the holes in the tree. And that's exactly like the brain. Yes, the body is now better, but you have to rehabilitate the brain again. And that's why I love hyperbaric because not only does it boost the immune system, but it heals damaged tissue. And that's why I love neurofeedback because I like to compare the brain like a cell phone. There's hardware, there's apps, and there's electricity. You know, the hardware is broken. Not only does the hardware, let's say the, you got Lyme disease and co-infections and the hardware, so your neural tissue of your brain has become inflamed and damaged. That's going to affect how the apps work, the apps on the phone, meaning the way that your brain works and functions. And it's going to change the electricity. So like brain wave activity. So you have to fix all the parts of your brain. You could be Lyme free and toxin free and mold free and still feel like your brain is sick. And so that's why you have to fix the hardware. So you have to fix the tissue. You have to fix the software and the apps and you have to fix the electricity. So the brainwave activity. And I cannot tell you when we have added in neurofeedback to our chronically ill Lyme patients, it's a game changer. We've had a Lyme patient who has been so sick for so many years and has done everything. And her cortisol is through the roof high. And the only thing she changed was neurofeedback. And her cortisol is now in like phenomenal ranges. They were floored, like they couldn't believe it. Just from neurofeedback, that's literally just changing how the brain signals to the body. And so I I emphasize that just because it's so important for us to take care of our brains as well as our body, because our brain takes a hit as well. And I see the same thing. People are like, oh, my Lyme is back or my Lyme is not gone. No, you have brain damage. We have to fix the brain and then you can continue healing. 100%. Dr. Wright, as we close this episode, what kind of advice do you want to give to people that have that suspect Lyme disease, that have had Lyme disease and have been really sick for a very long time and feel like there is no hope? The first thing is there is hope. Lyme is just another bug. Yes, it's a little bit more complicated. Yes, it can hide, but you can heal from Lyme just like you can heal from strep, just like you can heal from staph. It's just that Lyme is a little bit better at hiding. And so you have to do a better job of cleaning up the environment so that your body can do the job. There is hope you can heal. There is hope you can heal. Thank you so much. Thank you for your wisdom, your expertise. Please don't give up hope. Like we want you to know that there are therapies that can help you. There are things that are life-changing that can help heal you. There's always an answer. If something broke, it doesn't mean it can't be fixable. It just means you haven't found the answer yet. So hire someone, find someone that can help you find the answer on how to fix these things. Dr. Wright, you have over 20 years of experience with this. You have dealt with the sickest of sick people. You are truly like a treasure in this valley because like people know your name, people love you. When you had retired for a short amount of time, like people were devastated because you really are one of the best. Again, these podcasts are here to empower you guys so that you can super sleuth for yourself. But if you need big guns and you need someone to help you with some big guns, hire on someone that knows how to utilize those big guns whether it be Dr. Wright or another Lyme literate, stealth infection literate, mold literate doctor, just make sure you find the right doctor to help you on this path. Absolutely. And don't give up. Like 
lime, what lime? Like lime's easy. <laughs> lime's easy. <laughs> you know, it's fun. I never thought that I would co-create a clinic that helps the sickest of sick people. And I can't think of a better thing to create in this world to help those that feel hopeless. Don't give up hope. Like we just hired on a front desk person who is wonderful. And she's, I love working here because people come in so hopeless and they tell me how hopeful they are now. And she says to spark hope in people is one of the most inspiring things that we do here. And it's, it really is true because there are so many answers. You just haven't been looking in the right places. And so just do your research. You are capable. You don't have to have a PhD in order to understand these things. Just listen to podcasts, read the books, like all you need is you. Anyways, Dr. Wright, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I can't wait to pick your brain next week. And more to come. Lots more information to come. Tons more. We'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. <laughs>